So I didn't get a chance to introduce myself earlier. If, if we haven't met or this is your first Sunday, my name is Charlie and uh, I'm blessed to be the associate pastor here at First United Methodist Church. And in fact, this January, I will celebrate my fourth year of being on staff at First United Methodist Church Canyon. It has been fantastic. It has been uh, such a joy. And, and I'll say over the past four years, I've talked about, studied, preached, and taught a lot of different topics. And very few of those topics would I describe myself uh, as an expert. But I'm excited today to be talking about something that I'm very experienced in and I do consider myself an expert. I am an expert worrier, uh, unfortunately. In fact, if, if I'm gonna be honest, my greatest struggle as a follower of Christ falls under the category of worry. It's something I've battled my entire life. In fact, one of my most clear memories as a child was tied to worry and anxiety and thinking I was gonna die at five years old. I've worried about all sorts of things. I worry about my marriage, I worry about my career, I worry about my finances, I worry about my kids, I worry about what you think, Worry is a constant and consistent battle in my life. And something I need constant and consistent accountability and prayer and help with. And so I've looked forward to uh, this sermon and feared it at the same time. I've worried about it at the same time. I, actually, the, the way this sermon series came about, I, I was reading uh, this scripture in First Peter, and I was reading it, and I was reading it over and over and again. I just got this burden on my heart uh, for this topic of worry. And so uh, when, when Rick and I got together and we started sermon planning several months ago, I, I was like, what about this? And, and I just began to share and, and talk about, well, you know, we, they're so important and it's such a, you know, a challenge. And, and so I talked him into it. So it was a good deal. So... Uh, before I jump into the sermon, I do want to say there's so many people and, and so many resources that I'm indebted to for what we're going to be talking about today. I've, uh, I have so many friends who have encouraged me and shared scripture with me over the years. Uh, I've read fantastic commentaries and, and, and just amazing books that have helped me uh, get to where I am now, but also help inform me and hopefully I can share with you today. One, one book that I do want to point out uh, that I just recently picked up for this study uh, the title of the book I love, it says, the title of the book is How to Kill Worry and Anxiety Before They Kill You uh, by C Caleb Succo. Uh, and I just love the title of the book. It has been a fantastic read. And if you don't know Caleb Succo, uh, Caleb Succo is a missionary in the Ukraine with his wife and five kids. And so I figure if there's anybody who's an expert on how to overcome worry, it'd be a missionary in Ukraine who's there with his wife and five kids. And he has not disappointed. I, I highly recommend the book. Uh, you can download it for about seven bucks. You can buy it for about 10 bucks. Uh, it has been phenomenal. If you're struggling with worry, let me just tell you, this is your, your next resource and it will help. So what we're gonna be doing over the next three weeks is we're gonna be talking about worry, but we're specifically going to be addressing three lies that worry tells us. And so I wanna just jump right in and tell you what the first lie is. The first lie that worry tells us is that worry is helpful. 
That's the first lie that worry tells us. Many of us, we treat worry like duct tape. We think to ourselves, if I put a little bit of worry here and I, and I put a little bit of duct tape there and just maybe a, a smidge over here and, and I just worry about this just, just for a little while, that that, that that worry will help hold our lives together and keep us safe and keep us sane. But the reality is worry is nothing like duct tape. Worry is more like this. It's more like a noose. Worry holds us back and binds us. In many cases, it can actually hurt us. I mean, have you ever wondered where we got that word worry? Where, where it came from, what it actually means? I mean, how many of us have actually Googled the definition of, of worry? Only pastors do those sorts of things. So I actually did do a little bit of research on the word worry. And please just leave, let's leave this, this image up uh, as I go through these. So according to the American Heritage Dictionary on the English language, the ancestor of our word worry is an old English word, wargen, which meant to strangle. The root, the ancestor of our word worry originally meant to strangle. But I'm not done. The Middle English descendant of the word worry was warren, and it meant to grasp by the throat with the teeth and to lacerate or to kill or injure by biting or shaking. And it was meant to describe the way that wolves or wild dogs would actually kill sheep by grasping them by the throat and shaking them violently until it killed them. But I'm not done. In the 16th century, the word worry began to mean to harass as by rough treatment or attack or to assault Verbally, Then in the 17th century, it took on a new sense, not a good one though, it took on the new sense that the word worry meant to bother, to distress, or to persecute. I don't know about you. I'm, remember, I'm the expert. Maybe you're not the expert. But to me, none of those sound very helpful. None of those sound very encouraging. None of those sound very comforting. And maybe, just maybe, That's why our Savior, Jesus Christ, commanded us not to worry. Maybe that's, maybe because he loves us and he cares for us and he knows us and he knows the poison that worry can become. He actually took the time in one of his most significant sermons in the Sermon on the Mount. He commanded us not to worry. I want to go to that. And this is what's interesting about that, that verse because Jesus talked about a lot of things in the Sermon on the Mount. He covered a lot of topics, but this is what I find fascinating. In the Sermon on the Mount, there are three verses that address the sin of lust. There are 10 verses addressing worry. Think about that. The Savior of all creation has a, a captive audience, including those who would, who would launch the Christian movement across the world. And he spends three verses talking about lust, and he spends 10 verses talking about worry. I want to go to that verse with us this morning. Uh, the verse is in Matthew 6, 25. This is a direct commandment from Jesus Christ. He says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, What you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body 
more than clothing. Man, think about that. Think about what Jesus is commanding his disciples not to worry about. Food, water, and clothing. Jesus Christ, who's about to launch his disciples uh, into the world, knowing what they would face, knowing that most of them would be martyred and killed, is telling them and commanding them, do not worry about the most basic necessities of life. Just consider the significance of that. The things that we actually need to survive and thrive as human beings, Jesus says, Actually, let me correct that. Jesus commands, don't worry about it. Why would he do that? Why would our Savior who loves us and cares for us command us not to worry about the very things that we need to survive and thrive as human beings? I think the reason why is because worry is not helpful. It's sinful. Remember, I'm an expert at worry. And so I hate saying that to you. But worry is not helpful. It is sinful. And in fact, I would go so far as to say that worry is pride in disguise. Worry is not helpful. It's sinful. And worry is pride in disguise. Let me elaborate on that. Because see, Jesus wasn't trying to diminish the importance of food and water and clothing by demanding, commanding the disciples not to worry about it. He was actually trying to focus the disciples' faith. He was actually challenging them and, and creating a scenario where they were forced to decide, am I gonna trust in Jesus and God the Father to provide everything for me down to the most basic necessities or were they going to depend on themselves? Were they going to say, it's up to me to make sure that I survive? Or were they going to depend on God to make sure that they survived? Because see, worry, or you could really interchange pride, is all about me. It's all about me. When I'm caught up in worry, when I'm caught up in fear, when I'm caught up in anxiety, I'm saying things like, how am I going to pay these bills? How am, how am I going to make sure that I don't get sick? How am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to make sure that my kids are safe? How am I? 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 Do you see how quickly worry can erode our faith and our trust and our dependence on God. And here's what makes it worse. This is actually where the process of strangling begins. Every one of those how am I questions is actually surrounded by about a thousand other what if questions. What if questions that are unanswerable because we are not God and we don't know the future. Let me, get, let me give you an example of how this works. Let's just say, uh, let's just say you have some kids, some young kids, you know, maybe seven, seven, eight years old, and you're leaving church today, and, and somebody says, hey, I want to give you guys a day off. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
You know, he's heard my, my unspoken prayers. And so this other couple comes up to you and says, hey, we want to give you the day off. Let, let us take your, your son or daughter with us and we're going to grab a bite to eat and then we're going to run over to the park and we're going to play at the park. Now, you would never say these things out loud, but what might quickly begin to run through your subconscious is, well, if, if I'm not there and I'm not watching my son or daughter, what if they fall off the monkey bars? And if they fall off the monkey bars and they get hurt, I mean, we're going to have to take them to the, to the urgent care. And, and, and how much is that going to cost? And is that covered by my deductible? Is my insurance going to accept that? And if they don't accept it, how am I going to afford to pay for that? And if they don't, if, if, I, if they get seriously hurt and they, and they injure themselves and I've got to take time off work, well, I've already taken off the max number of vacation days. So if I have to take time off work and, and my boss gets mad at me, what if I get fired? Well, if I get fired, then how am I going to take care of my family? Maybe you've never had that happen. But all of those what if questions, we have no capacity to answer. So they swirl about in our minds, choking the life and the faith out of us, strangling our hope and our trust and the goodness and the, the dependability of God. I love how Caleb Succo, who I mentioned earlier, I love how he describes worry. He says, worry strangles its victims in the grip of unanswered questions and false fears. Now hear me on this. The results of worry are never helpful conclusions or useful advice, but rather more fear, more anxiety, and more theories of how things might go terribly wrong. See, worry isn't helpful. Worry is sinful. Worry is pride in disguise. The more you worry, the more you'll develop a dependence on yourself and a lack of trust in God. Worry is actually a subtle way, a very mischievous, below-the-radar way for our enemy to strike our hearts with fear by whispering, it's all up to you. And you can't do it. Enemy whispers in our ears, it's all up to you. And you'll never be able to get it done. He, he actually reminds us of our, our lack of divinity. We, we can't know the future. We can't know what's going to happen next. We can't know uh, how things are going to play out. And so he reminds us and, and just stirs up this fearness. It's all up to you. And who, who knows what's going to happen? Well, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? What if it goes this way? How are you going to handle it? Oh, if it doesn't go that way, what about if it goes this way? How are you going to handle that? And the life and faith and, and hope of our lives is, is strangled out of us. So we have to remind ourselves that that's a lie. We have to remind ourselves that it is not all, not all up to us. We have to remind ourselves that God does not leave us helpless and alone. And the, the thing I appreciate so much about uh, this whole battle is we really combat worry the same way that we combat pride, with humility. So the first way that we address the lie that worry is helpful is humility. I want us to look again at the very first verse of our main scripture that Danielle did a fantastic job of, of doing. She was all rested up, you know, you know, skipped the affirmation of faith so she could really nail the, the scripture. I appreciate that so much. That was good. So 
This is what that first verse says. First Peter 5, 6. What's the first two words? Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you in due time. In the words of Rick Warren, anytime you're reading the Bible and you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself, what is it there for? See what I did there? I totally stole that from Rick Warren, but I love that. And, and, and in this case, we need to ask ourselves, what is that therefore, therefore? And the answer is one verse earlier. Uh, it's in 1 Peter 5, 5. Listen to what it says. Remember, these are the words of Jesus. All of you must clothe yourselves with humility in your dealings with one another, for God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's what I, here's what I know about this scripture. This tells me that my father loves me, loves me enough to draw a healthy boundary. This tells me that my loving father will not allow anything. He will, he will oppose everything that tempts me to puff myself up with pride and allow my dependence and my faith on him to erode. God is going to oppose pride in my life. So what that tells me is he's going to oppose worry as well. Because worry is a sin that fuels that way of thinking. Well, it's all up to me, and I gotta take care of this, and I gotta make sure, and I gotta, what, what if, what if, what if, what if? God opposes that thinking, and he opposes that sin. But if I will humble myself, he will, he will quickly and powerfully pour out his grace into my life. You see, humility doesn't mean that we ignore scary scenarios or difficult circumstances. Being, being humble doesn't mean that you close your eyes to the ugliness of the world or the difficult circumstances uh, that you're gonna face. Those are real and many times we need to acknowledge them. That is healthy. But just facing the facts will always lead us back into worry. We'll always slide back into worry. We have to begin to discipline ourselves to face the facts with faith. It's a crucial ingredient. We have to face the facts with faith. So instead of focusing on the what ifs, we have to remind ourselves of the what is. What is true? We have, we have to keep reminding ourselves that God is with me, that Jesus does love me, that the Bible says that I am more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. We have to tell ourselves that we have a promise that our Savior will never leave us and will never forsake us. We have to discipline ourselves when we're tempted to focus on the what ifs, the things that we can't answer or that we can't know. We have to stop ourselves and say, no, 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 no. I'm gonna humble myself before the all-knowing, all-powerful God who knows the future, who knows everything that's gonna happen, who knows the plans and purposes that he has for me. And I'm gonna focus on what I know is true. I'm gonna focus on what is. And what is true is that God loves me and that I can depend on him and that he hears my prayers and that he never will leave me, never will forsake me. He will guide me through all circumstances circumstances and he describes me as more than a conqueror even though my circumstances are trying to conquer me we have to cling to that truth instead of allowing ourselves to drown in the what-ifs of worry and sin but there's another part of 
facing the facts with faith. And that is the part that we hate. Facing the facts with faith requires us to admit that we are not in control. And again, I hate telling you that. But we are not in control. We don't know what's gonna happen tomorrow. We don't know what's gonna happen an hour from now. We have kind of an idea, but anything could happen between now and then. But we can also, we can take comfort and we can celebrate the fact that we are not in control, but a God who loves us is. And we can rest in that. But we also have to humbly admit, and again, this is the part I really don't like to tell you. Uh, we also have to humbly admit that worrying will not make a single difference in improving our circumstances. It won't. It will cloud your judgment. It will strangle hope out of your life. And it will entangle you. It will not help. It will not encourage. It will not stir up hope. It will not do one thing to improve your circumstances. I want to remind you, Matthew 6, 27, this is also in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus again challenges us with this question. Can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your span of life? And the answer is no. Worrying is not going to help. And so I have, I have one challenge for you this week. First of all, I, I know there's probably a thousand questions that you have, a thousand things that you want to say, well, what about this? And, you know, worry, what about, I, I want to encourage you that next week we're going to talk about the difference between worry and concern. There's a huge difference. So we're going to cover that next week, the difference between worry and concern. But today I want to challenge you with this one question. This week when you find yourself worrying, I want you to ask yourself, if I really believe that God loves me and is willing to help me, how will I respond to this differently? If we really believe that God loves me and is willing to help me, how will I respond to this differently? Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that despite my worries and my fears, uh, you still love me and uh, you still oppose the pride and the worry in my life because you love me. And I thank you that you oppose pride and worry in the lives of all of us in this room. Help us, Father, to humble ourselves, say that you are in control, that you are trustworthy, and you're willing to help us in our greatest time of need. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I, I love that we're ending the worry sermon and we're going right into the celebration of tithes and offerings because for many of us, <laughs> finances and giving a tithe and offering stirs up a lot of worry and fear in us of what's gonna, what's gonna happen and what if I need that, that donation. And so I just wanna encourage you to, to not worry. And I'm gonna invite the ushers to come forward and uh, we're gonna take up tithes and offerings celebrating that God is in control and that he loves us and he's gonna meet our every need.